employees are now looking to their leaders for activism um, and they want to know where they really stand on things like inclusivity, on sustainability um, and you know, it's not enough just to hide behind a policy um, or an empty pledge on a website or an email, you know, in a town hall or whatever. So I think, you know, HR have a real role to play in terms of supporting their leadership about what does activism really, really look and feel like. Welcome to the HR LND podcast, where we explore cutting edge HR trends and best practices with top leaders who are shaping the future of work. My name is Nick Day and I'm founder of JGA Recruitment Group, a specialist HR search firm. I'm also a qualified executive coach and a recognized HR thought leader listed on Thinkers360. Together, we're going to dive into topics from diversity and inclusion to technology, learning curation and employee experience to help you evolve your people and your development strategies. So whether you're a flourishing HR executive, a rising manager or a seasoned CHRO who's driving transformation, this podcast is for you. So grab your coffee Hello and, and let's back play. to the HR LMB podcast. My name is Nick Bay, CEO at JGA Recruiting Group, and we are specialist HR recruiters. And I'm really excited today because we're going to be putting inclusivity at the top of the leadership agenda in today's show. Because I'm joined by Teresa Bowie, who is the CEO of the award-winning consultancy Jungle HR and founder of Inclusion 24-7. For those not familiar, she's a TEDx speaker and author of the Amazon best-selling book, Closing the Gap, Five Steps to Creating an Inclusive Culture. And that was designed to support business professionals and leaders like you listening to this show at every stage of your inclusivity journey. It was highly commended as an exceptional book that promotes diversity at the Business Book Awards 2020. Now, today I sit down with Teresa to speak about why companies should be linking their ESG strategies with their DEI strategies. We talk about HR trends to consider, how to create lasting change through HR transformation, which it appears all of you seem to be going through at this moment in time. And perhaps most importantly, of course, to explore why putting an inclusive culture should be at the top of your leadership agenda today. Of course, if you do enjoy today's show, you can find out more about today's guest by checking out the show notes where links to both Teresa's book and her Jungle HR consultancy can be found, along with, of course, our own links. And I'll ask one favour of you all, if you do enjoy today's show, please share it with one HR colleague or one friend, so that together we can continue to raise the profile of people management and human resources for everyone. But that just leaves me to say without further ado, welcome Teresa to the HR LMB podcast. How are you feeling today? Ah yes, I'm delighted to be here and thank you for such a warm welcome. Ah, delighted to have you. I'm going to ask you my first question, something like all of my guests, which is this, what do the words human resources mean to you? Oh, gosh, great, great question to kick us off with. Um, It's people, actually, you know, really at the centre of this. It's our unique difference. You know, we are um, individuals um, and we... Um, are a key component of society um, and of organisations. So we are a key, dare I say, resource, um, but there is that beautiful human element within it. So that's what it means to me. It's about our unique difference and how we apply those in society and, and the workplace. Fantastic. What a great start to the show. Now, I know if you know a little bit about your background, I've watched your fantastic TEDx talk as well, which I would put a link to to the show notes. I advise everyone listening to this, Check that out and go and watch the video. But just so I know a bit about your background, for listeners that don't, I wonder if you could just bring your story to 
to the fore, particularly about um, in relation to inclusivity, of course, but how how your journey also inspired your, your fantastic book, Closing the Gap, we're going into more detail about doing the course of today's show. Sure, thanks. Um, well, I'm going to take you back what probably feels like a hundred years. Um, and um, I, I was a teenage mum. Uh, so I had my daughter uh, when I was 16. Um, and it was a really um uh, well clearly a really difficult time actually it was um it was at a time where because they didn't have social media I can say thank goodness um but it was my first experience I guess of really feeling like I didn't belong um I was incredibly um frightened um and scared and all of those things um and of course I also had a social value label judgments levied at me at that particular time because of dare I say some um life choices I suppose that I had made um and so I'm, I'm kind of telling you that for a reason because it comes full circle in terms of where my passion for um inclusivity um and that real need for belonging um absolutely sits um so yeah so I had my daughter um and continued of course with my educational bit I had to do it differently so I had to study um part time at evening classes so again my social circle was incredibly different different um you know not my normal peers as it were at my age range so again I kind of didn't necessarily fit in um in all places with them um but even so worked uh, worked particularly hard um and juggled uh or all of those things that I know that many of your listeners, I'm sure, will be juggling as well in terms of family life, as well as, as I say, building your education um, and trying to forge a career because I knew that I wanted to be a role model for my daughter. I knew that I... Um, had I'm going to say my own um, aspirations actually that didn't need to be put on the back burner and so I worked um, worked hard there and I'm pleased to say that that hard work paid off um, wasn't always easy along the journey as as you've articulated um, there's lots of um, uh, I'm going to say stories that, that I share about my personal journey which are which are detailed in the book it's not a it's not an autobiography I should say it is definitely a business book um but yeah definitely being a journey I worked my way up in the uh, in the HR space so started in that uh, administrative function um actually working for an NHS organization many many years ago um and it was supporting at that time health visitors and district nurses um out in uh, in the community and that's where I got my real taste actually for for HR um and uh, really sort of onboarding staff and making them feel um incredibly welcome so again continued with my studies um and, uh, and and managed to secure all of my um, CIPD professional qualifications. So, of course, those in the in the professions will know that's the uh, the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development. Um, and I landed what was an amazing role, actually, uh, working for a travel company. Um, and at the time. I hadn't realised how fabulous it was in the sense of I worked for the group HR director and he wanted um, somebody that was going to provide him with some administrative support. So I absolutely ticked that box. Um, but he wanted somebody that he could mentor and that he could really develop on that journey. So for me, it was a 
fantastic opportunity but I look back now and think gosh hadn't really appreciated how amazing it was and I guess what I mean by that is I managed to have exposure to what ordinarily you wouldn't get exposure to until you are much um, further on your career in a really senior capacity. So I was exposed to things like mergers and acquisitions, executive remuneration, um, talent reviews, spanning across uh, organisations, complete organisations restructures, um, and these are typically things, as I say, that happen much, much later on in your professional career. But um, yeah, uh, Bill, his his name is forever etched on my on my yeah. mind. Um, was a brilliant mentor, um, and I just, as I say, had such an amazing opportunity to experience all of those things. So, of course, when I started, then my sort of practical uh, HR operational activity, I was like, oh. I've already done this and oh, that's quite familiar and I knew what to do and or where to go. And I think that's the key thing um, as you progress along. You don't necessarily have the answers to everything. And that's a sign of a great leader to sign and say, I don't know. But you surround yourself and you're not afraid to reach out and say, um, I don't know where I'm going with those things. So yeah, kind of climb, I'm answering your question in a really long way. Uh, but yeah. anyway, I climbed the corporate ladder, um, moved on, held a number of senior um, HR roles, um, and again, had fantastic uh, um, roles and opportunities. And then I had the fabulous gift, which is my son. My son came along, uh, quite a big gap, as you can imagine, between, uh, between my two children. Um, and it was time for me to start a new journey of my uh, career. Um, and so I stepped off that corporate ladder. And typically, um, as I know that um, many people often do, they found it really difficult to juggle perhaps that senior sort of corporate role and family life. And as say, for me, um, it, it, I really wanted to do something different. And I'd always wanted to set up my own uh, consultancy and perhaps hadn't been brave enough to do it. But because I'd stepped off that treadmill um, with, uh, with, with going on maternity leave, it was just a now or never moment. So I did. Um, and that's when I set up my own consultancy practice, Jungle HR. Um, and Jungle really because it's a corporate jungle out there. Um, there's real sustainability links, of course, to that as well. So Jungle is the one of the biggest kind of most diverse environments um, that we have on our planet. So there's real links there, as I say, with uh, with the diversity space as well. Um, and we've had an amazing journey so far. Um, you know, we've worked on some fabulous projects, delighted so many of our clients, um, which is uh, which is fantastic. And yeah, as you say, I'm the uh, author of Closing the Gap, Five Steps to Creating an Inclusive Culture. I'm a TEDx speaker. Um, what else do I do? Um, I'm a business board advisor for the all-party parliamentary group for women and work, and I chair the ESG work stream. Um, I'm a non-executive director for an NHS hospital trust. Um, and this year I was a UK delegate for UN Women. So I'm pretty proud, if I'm honest, in terms of where I'm at. And I often pinch myself when I go back full circle to what I started off um, several moments ago saying, I was a teenage mum that left school with a baby um, and, uh, and a lot of kind of negative criticism that I would never make anything of myself. 
as he should be, incredibly proud, incredible journey. We're going to get into some of those things he highlighted during the course of today's show. And actually, you won't know this, Teresa, but your story has a lot of resonance for me for a couple of reasons. One is my mum, for those who may not know, was also a teenage, uh, well, she got married at 17, not a teenage mum, she was married at 17. But she uh, also had to come out of school early, you know, in the, in the PhD in the 40s. Um, and she said, a lot of the journey there, but my sister was a teenage mum. So she went through a lot of the similar things that you did. Um, as well. So I've got some understanding of that, but also the juggling and going on your own. So for me, I didn't take paternity leave either of my two children. And I don't believe in regrets, but it was one of those things that if I probably could change around, I was trying to juggle one thing and didn't do the other. And it can be really challenging. So the fact you get to where you have best-selling author and all these things that you're doing, which I'm keen to get into, I think is is a, is, is high praise indeed for myself and the short for those listening in. So let's talk a little bit and, and start with the book. I want to get into later on your, your role with the um, the Female Entrepreneurship uh, Ambassador Program that you're part of as well. We'll get a little bit later on. But starting with your book, it's called Closing the Gap, Five Steps to Creating an Inclusive Culture. It's very much for HR business leaders uh, to give their methodology. You talked about mentorship. Lovely to hear your growing phase of Bill. It's great to hear that there's some really positive male and female mentors out there willing to help. But this book, as I understand it, is about helping leaders to embed inclusive practices into all future strategies. Tell us a little bit more about what that what, what that's about and how, what leaders might get from it. Sure, thank you. Um, so what what I um wanted to do is I wanted to create a book that um provided, as you say, those practical solutions. Um, and one thing I know is to say from working with organisations and supporting them on that journey that it's not just a tick box approach that it absolutely has to be a holistic approach to inclusion and we know that organisations really do have a desire to want to do something they might not know quite where to start um, or what they may often do is they may have um, multiple uh, singular initiatives that they engage upon. So they might say, okay, this year we're going to focus on X, for example, it might be gender, and next year we're going to fo focus on, um, you know, race, and then the year after we're going to look at uh, disability. And um, I'm going to say, unfortunately, they don't always work in that linear space. So it's around, okay, what can we do his his um, uh, holistically, um, and how can we make sure that the initiatives that we are embarking upon are right for our organisation? Because there's definitely not a one size that fits all. Sure. Um, um, and how do we ensure that they are embedded within the organisation? So, again, they don't just form sort of part of a, oh, this is what we're doing this year, and it becomes tokenistic. And so within the book, I created a, a methodology to guide organisations, their leadership teams, as you say, their HR professionals um, through that space. So the first element is we have to take stock. We have to really, really look at what do we have right now? So as I say, there are many organisations that are already doing some brilliant things. Um, but again, is it holistic? You know, are we getting stuck in the data and we're not moving too much further than, than that? And obviously, we've had gender pay reporting in the UK, for example, for those larger organisations for a number of years. And that in itself brings a level of transparency. But of course, for smaller organisations, they may not have that, but it doesn't mean that they can't start measuring that data. So, so as I say, the first 
step is you know take stock what what do you have what is your um uh, data both the soft intel and the hard intel what is it telling you because of course sometimes the numbers tell you one thing but people's experiences of an organization and i use the word people quite broadly it's not just about your employees it's about your customers it's about your communities that you serve and um, all of those things so again taking that holistic approach let's widen the sphere when we take stock so that's the first the first thing um we then move into raise awareness so this is all around how do we engage people on that journey how do we really um start to widen those conversations around i'm going to say why is inclusivity important um you know and, and for us we um lean into that ESG space as well, which I think we might be covering on a little bit later, but it's about that long-term sustainable future. So why are these conversations important? Um, So this is all around kind of the, the raise awareness piece. The next um, element is inspire and involve. So, you know, we often say it's great to have those accessible role models. So is there someone that, that you know, I'm going to say almost looks like me or is perhaps, as you, you described, being on a journey and there is some some way that you can resonate with that individual. Um, and, uh, you know, in many ways, I'm going to say it almost gives you hope that then says, crikey, that person has overcome those things and, and it and it. And enables me to think about what what that means for me and what I could potentially do. Um, But that, um, as I say, inspire and involve piece is, you know, when we talk about inclusion, it's not the role of one, it's the coming together of many. So what is everybody's role um, that they play when it comes to inclusivity and creating that culture of, of belonging? Um, We then move into build for the future. So building for the future, um, you know, what's our organisation structures? um, What's our policies and procedures? um, You know, how are we starting to think about attracting that talent of the future? So all of those things sit within that. Let's really, really be clear. What are we aiming for? What do our customers want? What do our stakeholders want? What do our employees want? And therefore, how do we create uh, and shape that set that future so that we can almost reverse engineer and work out okay well we want to be here but we're here now so what are the steps that we have to put in place um and then the final one that often gets forgotten is embed and this is goes back to what i said at the beginning you know organizations have many, many things that they're doing, but they're often not connected together um, and therefore they are not embedded within an organisation. Or you may have a brilliant um, senior leader who is championing um, inclusion, but if they leave for whatever reason, then is this going to be sustainable? So it's really important to embed that. And we created the model in a cyclical um, format because you go back to the beginning and you will evaluate again and you will evolve. And if we know nothing about COVID or have learned nothing from COVID, it is that we absolutely have to evolve and and work with the environment and the situation that uh, we are at the moment. So, So that's the model and the framework and it's in the book and it's packed with lots of case studies and checklists. I love a good checklist. So uh, there's checklists in there as well to help um, individuals on their journey. Fantastic. Well, HR professionals do love a blueprint, and this is essentially what it is for them. So, as I said, there will be a link in the show notes for those that want to find out more about that. 
was picking out some of the language you used, which I, I was like fascinating, but I think it's really important. You mentioned the word you know, finding the why, which I think is really important as part of that. That, that embedding, as we know, often is overlooked, the cyclical nature of it, which is you know, links to the evolution. We've seen HR departments and functions evolve, but they continue to evolve, and strategies and things will change. You know, there's now more awareness I've seen this year, and I've ever seen before, in relation to, for example, policies around the menopause. That wasn't there two, three years ago. So we need to be evolving. We need to be reevaluating what we're doing. I love the idea, that, I think it's a Simon Ong quote, who says, um, those look outward, me, and we need to do that. This is what we want to get to. But actually, those look inward, awaken. I thought that was quite similar to the way you're talking about awareness. I think it's a really powerful blueprint for those that want to want to create some more inclusive culture, which is really important. So before we jump into, you did, I do want to ask about how we can link ESG uh, strategies to DEI strategies. Before we do, I, I found it really fascinating listening to your TEDx talk, and you talked a lot about diversity fatigue. Now I know from doing this show, I've been talking about ED&I for a, a long time. It used to be equality, we moved even that's evolved now to equity and. and I think people feel like they've done it or they don't know how to redo it or they've lost the momentum or people are no longer engaged. And you summed it up really nicely in your, in your talk about, you talk about diversity fatigue. I wonder if you could just bring that to, to the audience's attention to see if maybe, maybe that, that's something they're suffering from within their organisation and you may have some strategies for overcoming that. Yeah, thanks. Gosh, I have to think back what I said at my TEDx. Um, no. <laughs> um, so for me, uh, yeah, interesting. I think I do think the TEDx is as valid today as it was, obviously, when when I uh, when I was privileged to do it a number of years ago. Um, and I think for me, um, that diversity fatigue really sets in because we often think that diversity is about someone else. Or something else and it's a protected characteristic that I may not have and therefore I'm currently either in the majority or in the minority um, and that's where I think um, intersectionality really plays a significant part um, and certainly when we're working with organizations helping them to think about um, not only their why for um, inclusion and, and belonging um, but to get them to think about their unique difference and we get them to think about the protected characteristics um, and they don't necessarily have to say it out loud but even if they you know in their own uh, in their own head, just sort of say, okay, well, um, you know, I, I will have a preferred sexual orientation, for example, which is one of the um, protected characteristics that could be in the minority, it could be in the majority, but I have one of those. And therefore, how does that influence my thinking? Um, you know, we all have an age, uh, you know, we all have um, a, 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 a particular faith, for example. So again, you could go through all of those protected characteristics and suddenly you start to realise that actually you have an affinity with more than one of those than you ever thought that you did before. Um, and it starts to help you to think about your own experience and how that's shaped your life. And perhaps if that wasn't present, what the impact of that would be. So again, this for me is really important when we are talking about um, inclusivity and, and say when people do start to have that fatigue and um and I still see you know people roll their eyes and you know they kind of think oh gosh you know off off on that again um but it's just about understanding say the uniqueness that we all bring and as a consequence how can we create an, an environment where we have that opportunity to be at our best 
to contribute, to offer something different. And we need to be open to that and curious, actually. You know, what is it that you see that I either can't or don't? Um, and how does that bring the ri richness to um, decision making, to conversations, to products and services that are, um, you know, created and offered? And those are the things that really excite me, actually, about um, this particular space. Fantastic. You made that really, really clear. I think also something that came to my mind, I did a, a podcast recently for Hearing Inclusion Day, and it was a, 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 a nice reminder for me to realise that we sometimes feel like it doesn't apply to us, right? And because we're in that majority, potentially. You know, I'm talking here now as a, a white, a middle-aged Caucasian male. But actually, I don't know what's around the corner. We don't know if tomorrow I may, may end up suffering something that puts me in a, in, a, in, a, in a disability group. Or, you know, things can happen. And it's about... As you say, this this conscious awareness, this conscious want to want to improve our businesses, improve the psychological safety for those around us, so they can bring that to work, all the things that come with it. Because we know, and the studies prove it, more diverse workforce brings better results, more creativity, but also a more inclusive culture also brings more productivity, more you know, people improve your attention as a recruiter, I know about that and talent, things like that. So I think you made that really, really clear. It's a really, I think, robust argument to say, you know, we need to, to reinvigorate our our inclusive DR policies and really re-energize our workforces to buy into that. Now we talked a little bit, um, or you talked a little bit earlier about in in your jungle HR background about how that links to ESG. You talked a little bit about your book as well. So I think it's quite interesting. We've not had a guest yet that's linked to ESG, which is environmental, social, and governance policies, if you like, to their DI strategies. Um, it's something that I'm passionate about. Um, to give you some context, as a recruiter here, I don't tend to talk about recruitment, but we, I believe we're one of the only recruiters in the UK that actually offer to greenify our hires. So what that means is we try and offset the carbon footprint for each place that we make for one year. So what we do for each place that we make, for those that want to take that option, uh, we, we um, do it through carbon emissions, so 12.7 tons of certified carbon credits, uh, 34 kilograms of plastic waste comes out of the sea, and we plant eight trees for each placement. And that's our attempt at trying to offset the carbon footprint for each placement. So it's something that's quite passionate for us. For you, you have great HR leaders listening uh, out there at the moment. How can we link ESG? Why is it important we even do so? And how can we connect the two to the DEI? Yeah, it's um, again, it's it's a huge passion of of, uh, of, of mine as well. Um, I think it is a it's a, a moving target. I think is the first uh, thing to uh, to talk about. Um, it's not new, however, it does appear to be um, and to quite rightly have surfaced to the top of many um, leadership uh, agendas, and in part, um, it's because we are hurtling very, very quickly towards the 2030 targets that were set by the United Nations um, and their Sustainable uh, Development Global Goals. Um, and uh, again, not all organisations know about those. I genuinely, I was really shocked. I spoke at a conference um, uh, earlier this year Last year, gosh, time time goes in a bit of a walk, doesn't it? When you're virtual, I spoke at a conference, um, and um, 
Uh, yeah, it was a room full of accountants, actually. Um, and there was over 200 of them in the room. And we talked about linking ESG um, and, uh, and inclusion together. And not one of them, when I asked them if they had come across the United Nations, um, uh, you know, sustainable development goals, um, not one of them put their hands up. And that for me was quite alarming, actually. So they were either kind of really terrified, which I doubt, um, or they were suddenly introduced to something that they hadn't either had that knowledge of before. And I'm sure there will be lots of organisations that do that. Um, but as a consequence, it is uh, rising to the top um, of, of business agendas. Um, and I think it's coming for a whole host of reasons. As I say, the, the, the countdown is most definitely on. Uh, with that, we've got kind of six years actually now to, um, to, to, to achieve those goals. Um, but actually, I think the societal demands are going to be very, very different. So if we link this in with our people, then our people and that kind of, again, broad sense our employees, our customers, our stakeholders and society are demanding that organisations do something very, very different in order to create and um, I'm going to say a, a more sustainable planet, but to safeguard it actually. Um, yeah. And so those things will be driving um, what organisations choose to do. So employ employees are now becoming much more discerning about who they want to work for, um, notwithstanding that, you know, we might be in a, a, an economic crisis, but they are still very, very um, particular. Do I want to work for an organisation that, as I say, doesn't have um, a solid um, inclusivity approach? Um, and what about their sustainability approach? What is their... Um, you know, vision for creating that that sustainable future. So those are some of the key drivers um, that organisations really, really need to start to lean into. Um, and I know from the work that I do um, uh, on the all party parliamentary groups, as I say, I chair the ESG work stream. Um, what we know at the moment is, of course, that the measurements that are coming through in those scope one, scope two and scope three reportings typically tend to um, be affected by much more of those larger organisations. However, and this is the bit that we're going, hang on a minute, because we are all anybody that runs a business is likely to fit into somebody's supply chain. And because you're in that supply chain, um, there are likely to be questions that are asked of you when you submit a tender to, to deliver a piece of work, for example. Um, and therefore, what is your approach to sustainability and inclusivity? So that is why it's absolutely critical that organisations lean into that. And of course, sustainability in its broadest sense can be anything from, you know, well-being as well as the planetary um, impact as well. So there's lots of things that organisations should and could do, um, but it's not going anywhere. And it absolutely will be a measure of organisation success going forward. Have you ever asked yourself, how can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. 
Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. Absolutely. You said it's rising to the top of the agenda. Obviously, the top of the conversation today is actually making inclusivity or making inclusive culture top of the leadership agenda. Tell me why you believe, why you believe that's so important to do that. Well, why should you earn inclusive culture be right at the top of the leadership agenda? Yeah, um, so um, it's because, again, I'm, I'm going to say post-pandemic. We're not entirely post the pandemic, uh, by no, the no. way. Uh, but um, I think, you know, post that, I genuinely believe that employees um, and the wider society had that opportunity to pause. They had that opportunity to say, you know, what what, what, what am I doing with my life? Um, you know, is this how I want to be living my life? Is this how, as I say, I want to be um, engaging with, with organisations? And I want something different. I want there to be a purpose in my life. I want it to be linked with, as I say, what, what I'm doing. Um, but I want to feel like I belong. Um, and that's why it is really important that organisations tune into, um, you know, the importance of inclusivity, because we want to feel like we're part of something as opposed to just a number. So go back to the question you asked me right at the beginning, what does HR mean? It's about, you know, the human element of, uh, I'm going to say, the ability to use our skills and expertise to and apply it within our chosen profession. Um, but it's the human element that, uh, that we bring to it. So it really will be important to say it will be a measure of success. It will attract employees. Um, it will attract customers. Um, and say so when we link that with sustainability, it's likely to impact um, things like funding as well. So, you know, when organisations are going out for and trying to secure business loans, um, you know, if they don't have all of their, um, I'm going to say, ducks in a row and not just tokenistic policies, but they're able to demonstrate that they do have those inclusivity um, and sustainability policies, they're unlikely to attract um, funding, stakeholders, investors, um, all of those things. So it's 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 going to be a real or it is a, a key measure of success. So organisations, if they're not on uh, with uh, with kind of dealing with it, I'm going to say buy my book. You've literally got a roadmap, yeah. um, and um, you know you really do need to be leading into that. It's it's going to be important. Well, buying a book is a much uh, more cost-effective uh, investment than losing your talent if you don't invest in this. And I work in the talent space, you know, as a recruiter, and we know that those that really get this, they're able to retain their talent and attract their talent way better than those that haven't quite caught up with what the market is doing. And I think that's really important. And there's a lot of, you know, recent studies that said HR's biggest challenge, and those listening may or may not agree with this, 80% hopefully will, because that's a statistic, said that actually recruiting talent is probably their biggest challenge. And, and obviously retaining it as well. So th this is this is absolutely central to, to that equation. To getting successful retention and successful attraction policies in place, you need to have an inclusive culture. People can feel like doing the best house to work. It's what the new workforce are looking for as well. And they are looking for what people are doing on the sustainability side of things as well. It's forming part of that decision-making process. You highlighted the, um, the pandemic. As you said, we're, we're not out of it completely yet. I lost half my workforce last week to COVID. So it's definitely still around. But the, the reality is it did make people reflect and it was called the great resignation in the media. We called it here at KJ Recruitment, the great awakening. And I think that's where people really, as you said, took stock and said, is this who I want to work for? Is this how I want 
to work and what do I want to do with my life? And we saw huge shifts in workforces. And I think that that didn't wake everybody up to what's happening right now. Then nothing really will. So um, actually, your book will be a great blueprint for helping me to do that. I've noticed, uh, I like noticing language, and I think it's the second time you mentioned the word tokenistic. So I just want to talk about that a little bit. How can HR leaders then um, move an organization from tokenistic or tick box type processes into true transformation? Yeah, I think um, so. It's about, it's the same, making sure that you're embedding whatever you're upon. You have to kind of understand what is the reason for doing this? Are we just doing it because we're ticking a box? Are we doing it because our competitors are and we think we need to? Now, in a way, that may be the right thing to do. But as I say, what is the reason for doing this? Where is your um, initiative coming from? Has it come from your people? So, you know, employee resource groups, for example, when organisations have those they're a great way for organizations to really get that intel what's happening within our our organization and how can we utilize um I'm going to say their passion um, and their knowledge and their experience, which often isn't um, great. um, But without, as I say, getting them to continue to sort of relive all of those things, you know, how do we utilize that to shape solutions that will really make a difference? And then I think um, once you've kind of got to the bottom of all of those, it is about um, uh, holding individuals to account and I use the word individuals loosely because I go back to the model that we've created which is all around um you know the role that everybody plays so certainly for us we would encourage organizations to set um inclusivity as part of everybody's performance development review or annual appraisal or whatever your own organizations happen to call it so how do they play their part when it comes to inclusivity um but certainly as i say as you move up uh the uh, the, the the rankings as it were um you know how are leaders and executives held to account some organizations tie it in with um bonus structures um you know they they um become champions as the same particular key areas but there has to be that measurement that is part of it and those are the things that are going to start to move it from oh let's just have these initiatives to suddenly something that becomes part of everyday practice within an organization and moves it beyond that tokenistic um, approach what are the learnings from it how can we become curious and how does it um shape our organization our culture our people practices um, and, our, and our customer experiences as well actually yeah i couldn't agree more i think something that uh, resonates when you mentioned the word individuals here there's an old cliche when we hear a cliche sometimes it means we should listen to them and that's the argument it only takes one bad apple to store a bunch but actually one individual that's not 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 following an organization's path towards a more inclusive culture for example actually to- toxicity can spread quite quickly um, and as part of HR, it is a truly authentic, um, organic process that you want to achieve more, you know, a more inclusive part of your business. Then HR professionals have to be willing to challenge those individuals when they're not getting on board and sometimes make those very difficult decisions. And the role of HR isn't easy, as we know. Uh, but if it's, you know, if we really do believe that this is the right future for our organization, then we need to be able to identify where those, those blockages are and be willing to challenge them. 
I was going to say it is. Um, however, it's really fascinating. So for us, I would want to spend some time with that individual. And I'd really want to get to the bottom of, um, you know, what what is it that they see and they're experiencing for them to feel resistant to not want to be in an organisation that actually meant that they felt like they belonged as well. And it goes back to the conversation we had before around, I'm going to say, diversity fatigue, when actually, you know, we sit down and say, tell me about your unique difference. Tell me about what you bring to an organ to an organisation and the world, actually, your society, your family, whatever. Tell me about... Um, you know, who who you are. And you could then say bring in those protected characteristics. And as you say, they can some of them can change in a heartbeat, yeah, actually. Sure. Certainly from a uh, I'm gonna say ability or disability um perspective. Um and when we start to unpick some of those, it's at that point that individuals the lights kind of do go on and they go, okay, this is about me. And these are the contributions that I can make. So as I say, I, I do accept there are some individuals. Um, I, I, and I guess I, I bring that back to, I remember doing a coaching program. Um, we, we ran a big transformation program out in uh, for a client out in Germany. Um, and so they've got very, very different labor laws. And I remember having a a conversation with one individual and and um the the ceo and the finance director at the time started laughing when they asked me to speak to him and i sort of said okay do you want to let me in on the secret and they said okay well do you know what this individual he's quite difficult it's quite arrogant probably won't last more than five minutes having a conversation with him because within five minutes he'll have looked at his watch he'll have put his feet on the desk his hands behind his head and then after five minutes he'll get up and go out the room so I sort of said, okay, well, thanks for the heads up. At least I know it's not nothing personal then if it happens. But I have to say, we had an hour and a half together in that room. And at no point did he put his hands behind his head or look at his watch. And it was because the conversation, dare I say, was about him. And he was really encouraged in that safe space to think about himself think about the contribution he was making, to think about the impact that he was having versus the impact that he wanted to have. And as a consequence, the things that he needed to do to change. And I, I mean, again, I, I'm it an executive of how to friends and influence people approach, right? And I get it to work, although there will be some listening to this where there are just, unfortunately, the solidity still exists in the workplace. Yeah. So it could be other individuals where you would approach the room and actually there have been some opportunities to start. I do still think there's a, there's a problem within some organisations or individuals, let's say, with ego. And, and there, obviously, there are always going to be sometimes occasions where people just can't change. But they say, if they won't change, then, then something else needs to do, right? Or, or they need to change what they're doing. Um, I just want to give some um, sympathy, I guess, for the HR leaders out there listening who may be able to, uh, I don't know, resonate with, with an individual they're really struggling with. And, I think the Del Carnegie approach is great. Make it about them. Make it, I can't understand their, their reasons. But I think that's going to be a whole podcast about that in itself. But I'm keen to talk about the fact that in the course of time, you are one of only 50 um, people uh, that, will, that work as the, uh, part of the UK Female Entrepreneurship Ambassador. So I understand it's one in partnership with the with Enterprising Women, Women's Business Centre, Forward Ladies and Institute Directors, and it's part of the European Network of Female Entrepreneurship Ambassadors. Across uh, 22 countries, 250 female entrepreneurs across Europe, 
I could not bring this to the fore. So I wonder if you could just tell the audience what that's about, your role within it, uh, and I guess most important, why it's so essential we do inspire and promote female entrepreneurship among young women today. Yeah, um, so I think that particular role then led me to um, have the opportunity to go on to do other things um, and obviously now to, uh, to to be that kind of key business board member for the all-party parliamentary group. So this was a programme um, that, as you say, was, was, was sort of set up really to think about the role and contribution that female entrepreneurs um, have in society. And um, certainly at the time, they were... Um, the numbers of women setting up their businesses was was significantly lower than than it absolutely is now. And so that forum really was an opportunity for us to come together to um, share successes um, and things that uh, typically, um, I would say government and, and business infrastructures um, are getting right, but also to pool our collective thoughts in terms of, OK, what are we missing? And as a consequence, what might we need to be doing to influence others, as say, whether that be government or wider businesses, in terms of what else could we do? And of course, the scope of that now is much more broadened from um, that female space. Um, you know, we know that there is some uh, quite significant work in the um, ethnic minority spaces, for example, in terms of uh, setting up businesses. So, you know, that work, as I say, was really, really key. Um, I did get the opportunity to uh, to go out to Brussels to uh, one of their events, which was just amazing. Um, and it's fabulous to, to hear um, experiences of other female entrepreneurs. And I have to say that was um, something that I really valued this year um, when I was fortunate enough to be a UK delegate at the UN uh, Women's Conference. Um, and again, the gift of the virtual world means that you can literally hear from, um, you know, other female entrepreneurs from all around the world. Um, but what was really, really um, key was we all had a passion for making a difference in the world and in society. Um, and those are the things for me that really excite me around this ability for us to have that um sense of belonging that real difference uh, that uh, that we can make and uh, an inclusivity so yeah there was that golden thread um and uh, and that opportunity to, uh, to to really have that seat and that voice to be able to go on to influence others your passion definitely comes through and interestingly we started this show really talking about mentoring the bill and actually it's almost there you're talking again the power of peer-to-peer mentoring which shouldn't be underestimated the power of community which for those, we know there's a lot of burnout in the world of HR at the minute. For those that are struggling, there are communities out there, no matter what your role within the world of HR might be, you know, go and search them out. Go and have on LinkedIn or the social networks that exist or reach out to colleagues or past colleagues or past bosses. Because there's a real world uh, community out there willing to support. And I think the power of peer-to-peer networking is just support there. Right at the top level, I think is absolutely fantastic. So my last question before we open the HR and Evolve, because I wanted to unlock some expertise that you have and your, your visionary uh, way of looking at things at Teresa's. What do you think are going to be the HR trends that HR leaders need to start preparing for now? And do you have any tips perhaps that can help them to prepare for those trends a lot? Gosh, um, what are the trends? Well, I don't know that it's anything necessarily new. I think it's just a re in and maybe a evolving of some of the um, 
uh, initiatives that they've been working on, certainly um, during COVID and post-COVID. So, um, uh, you know, many organisations were able to move into or had to actually move into a space um, in terms of working patterns. So flexibility, the hybrid working, you know, many organisations previously um, would never entertain anybody working from home. Um, And now suddenly it was like an almost overnight switch that people had to turn on. Um, And I still see some organisations wanting to return to how it was before. Um, And this is the role I'm going to say where HR really do have to lean into, because I think whilst there is absolutely a need for some people to and the desire for them to want to come back together in a physical place, and of course, some jobs might have to physically be done uh, at, at a physical place as well. But there is that real need as in terms of how do we create an environment whereby there is a degree of flexibility? Um, and we have to balance that, of course, with the fact that a job needs to be done. You know, a, a product or as a service has to be delivered. So I think um, HR really have that role uh, to, to to play um, there in terms of what does flexible working really look and feel like um, in in this um, uh, kind of environment that we we find ourselves in. Um, and again, we link that through then to things like reward. You know, how do we make sure that our reward structures are not just favouring um, you know those that are present? So we talk about kind of um, you know, presenteeism. Um, and, you know, we're, we're making sure that they are robust and um, equitable. Um, and that, and I use the word reward in the broadest sense, in the sense of, um, you know, what, what benefits do we offer? What facilities that we may historically have offered um, in a physical space? How do we ensure that we are able to either continue to offer them in a remote environment as well, or we just don't offer them at all? So it's those types of things. I think the other uh, space that um, HR will have to support their leaders in actually is maybe a slightly controversial one in terms of I think employees are now looking to their leaders for activism um, and they want to know where they really stand on things like inclusivity, on sustainability um, and you know, it's not enough just to hide behind a policy um, or an empty pledge on a website or an email, you know, in a town hall or whatever. So I think, you know, HR have a real role to play in terms of supporting their leadership about what does um activism really really look and feel like um and i'm going to say kind of linked with that then is the development of those real inclusive leadership um behaviors so what does that mean because again you'll probably know this from your hiring spaces you know Mm. organizations are really looking now for very different leadership qualities um and so when they're not quite there um how do we provide that uh, that learning and that support space uh to uh, to help them and of course we've got the the usual you know attraction uh recruitment and yeah, um, all of yeah. those things as well which you know they'll be incredibly well honed on but um 
I think you've articulated perfectly that the HR profession is not easy for leaders out there, right? There's a lot of things on that agenda. We believe today on this station, I hope it's come across that inclusivity should certainly be right near the top of that of that agenda. But we know that's a really challenging role. We know there's a lot of plate spinning involved for those listening to this show. Hopefully there are some tips from Teresa to help you navigate those a little bit more easily than perhaps, uh, you know, have you not done today's show? And I think there's been so many nuggets of in, and, and insights of, uh, that people can take away from today's show too. So I'm really, really thankful for, for you taking your time to be with us. We're going to open the HR L&D vault. So these are three short, sharp questions for you, for our audience. And the first one is this. If you could give one piece of advice to the world, what would it be? Oh, to the world, to the world. Okay, I would really encourage you to take a moment to pause and to really think about how you can align your passion and your purpose to make a difference in the world. Fantastic. I don't need no no commentary needed for that. Wonderful. Uh, If you had the opportunity, what advice do you give to a younger you just starting out in this new world of work? Um, Gosh, a younger me. I would I would say you need to continue to be tenacious. So I think the T in Teresa is tenacious without a shadow of a doubt. However, um, I also believe it's really important to be curious um, and to, you know, just because somebody offers you a thought or a view that may be different than yours, there is that opportunity just to pause and go, okay, help me to understand that. So I'm I'm a great believer of questions um, and, and almost, you know, turning that back. What am I learning from this experience? Um, yeah. So I think I think the yeah, state nice. just keep going, but become really curious. I'm really curious. I mean, actually, you said that leadership has changed uh, a moment ago. And actually, that links very closely to what a coaching culture is all about, is asking questions and empowerment and things like that. So, yeah, great response. And last but not least, what is the the one guiding principle behavior that you've seen in every great leader that you've worked with? Um, I think every great leader, actually, that I have worked with has been super, super authentic. They have been true to who they are. And they are not afraid to, um, I'm going to say admit when they're wrong, actually, or to say, I don't know, um, because we can't know. You know, people do look to us as leaders to have the answers, um, but it's better to say, I don't know, but I'm going to come back to you on that than it is to fudge it, quite frankly, which some people do, because that's really not going to cut the mustard. So, you know, to, to as I say, be curious, um, but be authentic, be who you are. Um, and um, I, I think those things are going to be key going forward. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think also being authentic in the way that you've mentioned it there, but not, you know, someone's admitting when we're, we're not always right, shows vulnerability. And we can see the power of vulnerability in, in, in engaging a workforce and, and how contagious that can be as well. So people can bring their best selves to work. I think it's really powerful. And that's what I would see as one of the, as you, in full agreement, the great leaders now are, are really bringing to the workforce. So yeah, great response. Well, look, it's been a real fascinating um, conversation today, Teresa. Thank you very much for joining me. Of course, for those that want to find out more, uh, about your services, you can go to junglehr.com. There will be a link in the show notes. For those that want to find out more about what Jungle HR do, well, they provide a range of services from executive coaching, change management, organizational design, business transformation, employee engagement, communication strategy, mediation, and more. It's full of a wealth of resources, 
blogs, links. So please, please do check out that site. Whether or not you think you need the services right now, I guarantee there'll be something on that site for you to take away and use in your business. So please do take a look. That's junglehr.com. I will also include a link to inclusion247.com, where, of course, you can find the wonderful book, Closing the Gap is available on paperback for $14.99 or on Kindle edition, I think it's $6.99. Um, I'll also, last but not least, include her LinkedIn profile for Teresa as well for those who do want to connect and find out more and perhaps reach out to Teresa about her services. Of course, if you are an HR LD professional listening to this show and you are having challenges trying to recruit HR talent, well, that's where we can come in. So please do get in touch with either myself, my wonderful team here at jgarecruitment.com. That link will also be in the show notes. And if you are interested, just because we mentioned it today, in the planet positive recruitment solution that we do offer our clients that can actually support your ESG targets, uh, then please, please do inquire about that as well. It's, I believe we're one of the only recruiters offering this level of service. And we only found it actually because we wanted to make our office carbon neutral. We invest in a company to make us do that. And then we asked them, can we do this for our clients? And they said, yes. And they created a bespoke solution for us. So we believe it's original. Hopefully it'll, uh, it'll engage you if you're interested in those ESG targets for yourself and you want to utilize our recruitment services. Do give us a call. Uh, just leave me to say one huge final thank you to Teresa Bowie for joining me today on the HR L&D podcast. I look forward to bringing you the next episode real soon. Teresa, thank you ever so much. That's it for today's episode of the HR L&D podcast. I hope you found this discussion informative and thought-provoking and that it gave you actionable insights to help you drive your HR agenda forward. Please remember to subscribe to the show so you never miss a future episode. And I'd also love to hear from you. So if you enjoyed this show, please do leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. Your feedback helps me to ensure I can continue to bring you the topics and guests that matter most to you. Oh, and don't forget to share this show with your colleagues and fellow HR leaders as well. The more we spread the word, the more we can grow our community of HR professionals who I know are all as dedicated to driving the future of work forward as I am. Thanks, of course, for tuning in. My name is Nick Gay. Please do look me up on LinkedIn and send me a connection request. It would be great to get connected. In the meantime, I look forward to bringing you the next episode of the HR L&D podcast real soon.